Hi, welcome to Over Beers, a craft beer conversation podcast. I'm Freddie Clark. Sometimes, for better or worse, your dreams get the best of you. When you visit riverhorse.com, the very first thing you're going to see will be that quote. Click on and read more, and you're going to learn about the path that Chris Walsh, owner of Riverhorse, took to get there. A couple of weeks ago, I sat down with Chris and head brewer Chris Rackow in the Riverhorse Tap Room in Ewing, New Jersey. Being one of the older breweries in the state, it got me thinking about the history of beer in general. So I thought some early beer history would be a good place to start today's show. Some believe that humanity moved from being hunter-gatherers to agricultural-based settlements to produce enough grain to brew beer. Whether that was the main motivation or not, humanity had a powerful predilection for the consumption of ethanol. Brewing emerged more than 5,000 years ago in the grasslands of southern Babylonia, between the Tigris and Euphrates River, in what is now Iraq. The rich soil supported the growth of wild grains, which were gathered to make food and ultimately beer. Now, no one knows for sure how the process of fermentation was originally discovered. Maybe the grains were left in the rain, which would then cause them to sprout, and enzymes would start to develop. In order to preserve the grain and make bread fast, someone could have heated them up quickly and then discovered that the starches were liquefying into sugars. They already knew that you could create alcohol from the sugars and fruits, because wine is a little bit older. So the presence of the sugars would lead them to the logical conclusion that these grain-based sugars could also be converted into alcohol. Thus, beer. When the Sumerians settled into the plains, creating the first civilization in Lower Mesopotamia, they began to grow grains and made a form of bread called bapir. They praised the goddess Ninkasi, which means lady who fills the mouth. She was the brewer to the gods and taught them how to make beer as well, which they called kas. Beer and bread became part of their day-to-day life. Beer was healthy, pleasantly mood-altering, and full of nutrients, and to make it more and more, people created settlement-based agriculture. When the Babylonians came a-conquering, they adopted the beer-making skills. In his famous laws, Hammurabi covers beer and categorized 20 different varieties. The Egyptians also picked up on brewing from them, and by 3100 BC, it was an important part of Egyptian culture. It was heated during brewing, which cleared away unwanted bacteria, so it was safer to drink than water, and became the everyday drink of everyone from the pharaoh to the lowliest peasant. Great grain stores were built, and the economy was created on bread and beer. They had many types of beers. Egyptian texts mention dark beer, sweet beer, thick beer, garnished beer, friend beer, beer of the protector. Massive breweries were built, and beer and grain were offered as payments for labor. Brewing was done mostly by women, which became a practice carried on for years to come. We'll pick up the rest of the story on another podcast, but let's get back to Riverhorse for today's conversation. To start things off with owner Chris Walsh and brewer Chris Krakow, I asked them what got them into beer to kick off our conversation over beers. Beer? Yeah, beer. Girls. Girls? That's what got me into beer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was how it worked. Yeah. 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 That was a long time ago. But uh, what got me into the beer business um, was uh, I hated my other job, basically. Okay. I was an investment banker. Okay. And we wound up selling our firm in like 2007. So my partner, Glenn, and I were partners there. We just looking for a business to buy. We dealt with distressed companies. Mm-hmm. Um so we were looking for something to buy, something that, you know, sort of fit five or six criteria that we had. And, you know, this just 
fit. It fit. Yeah, it wasn't like we set out to buy a brewery. It wasn't okay. like two guys having a midlife crisis, you know, going to get Harleys and, <laughs> and buy a brewery. It just happened to be, you know, we wanted to manufacture something that couldn't be um, sent overseas. Mm-hmm. A consumer product is sort of the the ultimate thing where you're building a brand that has, you know, can get momentum to it. It's not, you know, you sell, sell them something once, you know, you can keep them as customers, hopefully for life. Um, you know, it's a it's a process we understood. It's a product we understood, at least you know at the at the consumer level, not at the at the brewer level. Mm-hmm. We're never gonna we're not brewers. We don't pretend to be brewers. Okay. He's forget Chris has forgotten more about beer than <laughs> than I'm ever gonna learn. But we you know approach it. I approach it from a consumer point of view. What okay. does it taste like? What does the packaging look like? What's the pricing like? You know, what's the style? You know. Okay. That's kind of been the mantra since 07. So 07, you guys purchased it. Riverhorse existed, of course, pre- previous yeah, to that. Yeah, started in 96. Started in 96. Yeah. And it was in, like, Lambertville, right? right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Little, I remember seeing it in that little factory spot yeah, in Lambertville. Yeah, cracker factory. Yeah. yeah. It's tucked away back there. Yeah. yeah. Now, Chris, were you a part of it then? No. I no. Can't, no, not in pre-2007. I think it came on, like, 2009, 2008, 2009. Okay. Right around there. Yeah. What, what, uh, what's your history with beer? Um, well, in college, I was trying different uh, craft beers and stuff like that, kind of mm-hmm. getting into it a little bit. And then um, a friend of mine bought her brother a homebrew kit, and I never knew you could make beer at home. So that weekend, actually, I ran out and bought a homebrew kit and started making beer at home. Okay. Did that throughout college and um, just realized I wanted to get into it at some point in my life, you know, like as a career. <laughs> I was going to school for engineering, so uh, my idea at the time was finish up with my degree, work as an engineer for a while, save some money. And then open up a, a pub or a brewery later on. Okay. It took about nine months as an engineer in a cubicle. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just, I had enough. So it was, um, I had gone to brewing school after I graduated from college. Mm-hmm. So I had my brewing uh, certification education. What school did you go to? Uh, American Brewers Guild. Okay. And then I was at Rutgers for engineering. Mm-hmm. And then just started looking for jobs when I was at uh, my desk in my cubicle as an engineer. And um, then I, got, I found a job at a Harpoon up in Vermont. Mm-hmm. The head brewer there was one of the professors at the American Brewers Guild. So for them, they were interested because they got an electrical engineer for brewer's salary. And I got my foot in the door. So it was mm-hmm. kind of win-win. Um, and then I was up there for a little over a year. And I'm from this area. I was looking for places that were hiring River Horse was. And well, in 2008, there weren't a lot of places in the area. Yeah, not too it, many. I think the yeah. only real ones that, like, were, were regularly hiring, or not even regularly, but had positions to was probably, like, Weyerbacher and then Riverhorse, at least. That was mm. close to where I was moving back to. Right, right. Okay. Um, yeah. When you were uh, brewing on the home kit, uh, anything good come out of that that you're still tinkering with, or I mean, was it all... There was, I mean, our, our pump. Was it any good back then? Yeah, no, it was yeah. good. I mean, my first batch, I was afraid to drink because it's just, you put it into a closet in a bucket and right. it's bubbling right. away. It's kind of weird, you know what <laughs> right. I mean? Yep. Like, <laughs> it wasn't familiar for me. So I didn't, actually, I didn't drink any of my first batch. I gave it to a friend of mine. I put it on, like, old uh, flip-top Grosch bottles. He drank it and loved it, and then I kind of got over Obviously, I got over it. Okay. <laughs> Fermentation. Okay. And, um, but yeah, and I was just kind of toying around. Back then, I used to try to, uh, I would tweak like one ingredient at a time, mm-hmm. trying to like understand it and like control recipes more. Because if you change like five different things, you never really know what you did. You know, right. Kind of chasing. Yep. You know, nothing like a shadow mm-hmm. almost. Very engineering approach. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, our pumpkin ale had maybe some influence from like an old recipe, you know, way back. But um, nah, I mean, it came a long way from five gallons on a stove mm-hmm. in a college. 
right, house. Right. Okay. We just have a big stove now. Yeah, yeah basically, yeah. Giant, giant stove. Right. <laughs> that closet, and it gets a little stinky after a bit. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Um, so you guys are in a unique position in that most of the places I've talked to so far in doing the podcast have been relatively new. Yeah. You know, since the, the 2012, 2013 era of the change in the laws. Right. Um, being able to have a tap room and, uh, and sell there. Before the tap room laws changed, I can imagine it for you guys, especially it was an entirely different business model, really, right? It, you know, um, yes and no. It was, we did have a tap room at the time. Okay. Um, you know, we sold, River Horse sold samples. Uh, he got four samples for a dollar. Yeah, so we had a lot of foot traffic. But we did a lot of takeout beer. Yeah. Um, and it was all sort of, you know, under the radar of the, of the ABC, quite frankly. I mean, we were, the, the, the rules prior to that, I mean, they're not clear now, but they yeah. were non-existent and not clear at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had, you know, Lamberville had a big influence on our um on our business model because we were we didn't, we didn't have to drive traffic at all they just showed up people just walked in yeah, yeah you know two guys um, while their wives were looking at antiques you know seeking asylum in a way um, <laughs> that's a good way to put it yeah, yeah and we also you know we we could take advantage of Shadfest mm-hmm. illegally I might add because we you know we, we did um, have a social affairs permit but uh, you know we kept all the proceeds I mean it was really okay. You know, to, to come into an environment where you sort of were looking, getting looked at, it was uh, it was a little bit different um, because that was really integral to our business model. Um, I can imagine that was a big day, big, that big covered weekend. a lot of the yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's really, I mean, I sort of use it as a uh, as a you know a point in time to demonstrate what breweries you know really should be able to do because mm-hmm. that was an event we could take advantage of it we could benefit from it it didn't harm anybody it didn't take business away from you know restaurants or bars it was mm-hmm. just the brewery having an event for its own benefit right um, which i think is something quite honestly that that we'll get that latitude to do to be able to extend our our, our license you know into the park into your parking lot or whatever mm-hmm. and have an event that, right. that just benefits you you know a community style event which um you know I think is great for the community is great for the brewery and it doesn't need to be encumbered by a bunch of rules and laws now are you doing anything to help push that with the with the government in New Jersey yes yes Um, there's a lot of things in play so as far as breweries go yeah Sure. Um, I'm not a big uh, association guy. I don't, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not very active in the, in the New Jersey Brewers Association, but, um, you know, they've come here, the ABC's come here and I've met with them here. And then I was invited to a meeting at the ABC to voice sort of, you know, my opinions on the way things, the way the regulations should go. And that point about being able to extend our license like like a bar can mm-hmm. just a few times i mean i'm happy with five or six times a year mm-hmm. is sort of my you know my key issue okay. um you know if sure a lot of the other breweries you go to have been the tour mm-hmm. um or, or things like that you know i don't i don't mind the tour um i you know i see it as a way to you know interact with your customer, differentiate yourself. Um, some people look at it as a hassle, but we've got virtual tours and other workarounds, but uh, that's my main issue is sort of being able to, to, to have big events. Big events. Yeah, what I, mostly what I hear about the tour is it's fine, we like doing it, we like you know educating them, but if it's somebody who's a regular right. coming in weekly, a couple times a week, they've done it 
They yeah. could almost give the tour. Right. So why do we have to make them do it again? See, this is where you get into a dangerous use of that word regular because mm -hmm. if you if you look at everything from the ABC's point of view we're not supposed to have regu regulars yeah, true okay so yeah. using those words <laughs> is is poking them in the eye because mm -hmm. what the, the, the way the law is written is we're a manufacturer with a consumer privilege right we're not a consumer we're not a bar that happens to make their own beer right so in theory, people are coming in as your showroom to see your beer. Mm -hmm. And if they happen to come in more than once, you know, the obligatory tour, you come up with some kind of workaround. You know, we use, uh, we have a virtual tour where we use Viewmaster Viewfinders. Okay. And you can click through them and it's an educational experience. It's not a tour, but... Right. You know, you, you you check the box, you play the game. Right. You know, it's instead of that's something. It's not a fight worth having, really. Mm -hmm. And that argument of saying, you know, you go right into their trap if you say, but a regular. Yeah, true. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. their ears perk up. <laughs> right. So you're not supposed to have regulars, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, a lot of the discussion was around how long do people stay and how many beers do they drink and all this kind of stuff. And and it's you know. You just kind of put yourself in their point of view. They've got this set of laws that they're trying to figure out how to implement with all these constituents that are very passionate about it. Right. And, and you do have, a, look, in this state, the liquor license costs a lot of money. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. So I can totally yeah. get both sides of the argument, the other side of the argument to right. say, I invest a lot of money to open a bar yeah. or a restaurant with a bar. Right. And... I want to protect that investment. Yeah, absolutely. So you can see both sides, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, you have something that a lot of the other places that I've talked to don't really have or are more in the early stages. You guys are distributing heavily throughout the state. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's where most of the places I talk to, it's, it is the tap room driving yeah. most of their revenue. Right. I would hazard to guess for you guys, it's the other way. The yeah. tap room is a nice to have, but your distribution is really what's yeah. paying the bills. I, I would mm -hmm. say that, you know, the distribution, overwhelming majority for sure. Right. Um, the, the tap room is, um, you know, it's a have to have. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a nice to have and a have to have because that... You know the the margin boost that uh, boost that it gives you is is um, crucial. Mm -hmm. You know distribution, three tier system. You know people want they don't want to pay more than eleven ninety nine, ten ninety nine. So to for us to increase our prices, you know it, it's going through three different people taking a chunk. It, it's not going to move that much. So yeah. um, you know it's just what I talked about before. You know. Um, being a manufacturer is a very, very difficult thing to do. Mm -hmm. That's why most of them have gone overseas. Being a pure manufacturer of a, even a consumer good, it's yeah. just hard to do. Right. Too many people in between. Um, so you need that. Yeah. And the ABC fully understands that too. So, so you're not doing your own distributing. You're doing. You have distributors yeah, right. all mm -hmm. throughout the state. We have one. We deal with oh, 101. 100 the whole all state. Across, yep. across the whole state. Mm -hmm. Now, what about beyond New Jersey? So we go into the first three counties in Connecticut. Okay. Um, we're in the five boroughs in New York. We go up into the Hudson Valley um, and the eastern half of PA. We go okay. Lehigh Valley out to Lancaster and the, the five counties around Philadelphia. So you're really regional at yeah, this point. Like yeah, we're like the uh, Amtrak brewery, the Acela <laughs> brewery or something <laughs> like that. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, yeah. Nice. Now, in doing that, the, what is it? Does that do anything to the different styles that you're producing on a regular basis? I mean, because I mean, you have to be a little more. I would, I would assume, a little more thought out 
than just saying, you know, Chris is going to just, you know, play mad scientist in the back room and come up with something new. Does, yeah, that, does the, that affect it? It's it's crazy. I mean, the markets are different, mm-hmm. even though, um, you know, they're not that far apart. There's there's big influences. Um, the markets are different and, and the distributors are different in that they have different approaches to the market, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, that's changed a lot in the last four or five years where it used to be that every brewery's experienced this where you just had a seasonal lineup and every distributor took every seasonal you, you made what they asked for they sold it went into the market it was gone mm-hmm. it was not a thing now you know you have breweries betting on or, or distributors betting on breweries by style so they don't take everybody's pumpkin you know maybe they'll take two or three pumpkins and you know some markets are pilsner markets other markets are not mm-hmm. it's you know we, we do a check style pills it's you know, it's unique for a craft beer because it's just a beer. It mm-hmm. wasn't made with any crazy ingredients right. or made by any double you know, dry hops. Double, no. so it wasn't triple dry hopped or made with a hornet's nest or anything like that. It's just a pilsner, you know, and that's the best thing you can say about it, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's a 5% beer. It kills it in New York City. I mm-hmm. mean, we just, we, we sell a ton of it. And then you come to New Jersey and North Jersey, you know, there's a larger Eastern European population, so it does better, but, mm-hmm. you know, some markets are, some markets aren't. Right. <laughs> well, now, having been doing this for a while, it, the latest influx of the last few years, especially in New Jersey, it's grown rapidly. Right. Craft breweries yeah. are coming up everywhere. I think the last thing I saw was, it, it's in the 80s now. Mm. What did that do to... What did that do to River Horse? How did that affect River Horse, who's been around and doing this for, for years? You know, it, it, it sort of puts us in a spot where we're, you know, your dad's craft beer in a way, right? Okay. We're not the new and shiny guy, and we're not, um, you know, founders or Ballast Point. You know, we're not right. massive. You're in the middle there. We're a tweener, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, so, it, you know, it makes you sharpen your pencil a little bit, think a little bit differently about what beers you put out and what image you're trying to project. And, you know, you got to get more active. You got to be more, you know, um, got to interface a lot more with your customers. You got to change your products, you know, quickly and frequently. And, you know, rely on your relationships really okay. is what it is. It's, yeah, um, yeah it's a di- totally different game now yeah. than it was. And it's going to continue, I think, yeah. for... You know, at least maybe another year. I think. I think this year, um, well, we're seeing a lot of f- failures, not locally, but mm-hmm. you know, big picture kind of stuff. Right. Um, I, I think some will creep into this market. You know, I know brands like Smutty Nose or you know, Smutty Nose is for sale. Yeah. Um, there's a few other ones that you know I I know of that. I've, quite frankly, a lot that I'm surprised they're still around. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just a tough market. Yeah. It's just and even I, I like I, reading the regionals, the bigger guys, or even the national craft beers yeah. are, are, you know, taking a hit. Yeah. You know, not not Enjoy. producing, not making what they were making right. just a couple of years ago. I mean, it's uber local. It's, yeah. it's as local as, you know, you can be. And, and, you know, does your brand have legs, really? Mm-hmm. And that's really the question. That's the question, so, yeah. Um, so from the brewery, the brewer perspective, mm-hmm. what are what's your approach when you're thinking about brewing something here at River Horse? I mean, do you have so are you know you mentioned the double dry hopping, you know, kind of are are you traditional German style traditional brewing methods? Are are you experimenting? Do you have a do you have a 
set approach in your mind, or is it I'm going to just come in and see what strikes me that day? Yeah, so what I mean, depending on what season it is, you know, like how the weather is, you know, as far as darker or lighter beers. Um, I mean, we're not super traditional, kind of like make something for everyone. Like we have a really good barrel program, really nice sour program. Um, we also have like, you know, our Czech style Pilsner, which is a straight up, you know, Pilsner. This uh, Hippo's Hand IPA is a 9%, like hazy, big old IPA with a wacky fruit, Buddhist hand fruit. So, I mean, we really touch most bases. Mm-hmm. I think the only main thing is, is uh, I mean, everyone says, you know, they're well balanced, um, but I mean, if you're going to get everything out of a beer in the first sip, you know, I don't think that is well balanced, you know, if it's just like big bitter bomb or like all you taste is like barrel or something like that, you know, so I like, I think we have a good balance within our beers and you can taste a lot of different things out of each of them. Mm-hmm. I do notice that, uh, I've noticed for a while that you guys do do a triple, mm-hmm. which is rare in a craft beer yeah. mark, local market type of scenario. Where was, what was the thinking behind doing that triple? That, that one was there um, before I was here, I think before okay. um, the changeover. That beer is uh, one of the old ones. Huh? It's, 20, it's 20 years old. Wow, yeah. okay. It's our number one beer, too. It's yeah. our highest ABV year-round, and it's our number one. Yeah, we just we we submit. Did we submit it before? We submitted it uh, last year at the GBF, and we won the bronze for triple. Oh, that's mm-hmm. what you got it for. Yeah. I, I saw yeah. you guys got it. I, I was going to ask you about that, so that you got it for the triple. Yeah, yeah. I think you know it speaks to what Chris is saying is that you know we do have a Belgian triple. We've got you know along that we've got a you know a sour program, a barrel program. You know we've got a partnership with Jameson. We have a lot going on, and there's there's a lot of those things where it's like you know a lot of breweries are known for you know, one or two things. Um, and it's a difficult branding message where you, you kind of come across as like, you got something for everybody. It mm-hmm. looks a bit like you're, you know, you're not as focused, but it's, you know, I think the focus for us is in the balanced beers, is in the, you know, the quality ingredients is sort of, you know, we're not going to, um, we don't want to curl your toes with something mm-hmm. with 150 million IBUs. It's not, okay. you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, we try to be a little subtler. Okay. I mean, I think, you know, my tastes, um, you know, IPAs are sort of uh, not my thing, mm-hmm. you know, and then when we, so it's, it's, I think that's a good balance. You know, my opinions don't really count for much around here, to be honest, but uh, in, in terms of appealing to the masses, you know, I'm kind of the masses when it comes to, okay. you know, those beers. Um, so, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good point, though, because there's a, that beer, craft beer, uh, for lack of a better term, club sure. of people who love craft beer, mm-hmm. right? And then there's the people who don't love craft beer, and finding things to target to bring them in, yeah, is is a big thing. Is an important thing to do, right? You mm-hmm. know, especially to grow a market. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's um, you know, and and. It's getting increasingly difficult to do that, mm-hmm. you know, with the, the fragmentation, the market, the localization. And every day that clicks by, um, you know, Gen X, Gen Y, and millennials are, you know, changing the mix of who we're going after. So yeah. that's, you know, our, our target market. And they all have, um, they have different buying patterns mm-hmm. and, and different outlooks. Yeah. So. so tell me a little bit more about the partnership with Jameson's. 
<laughs> yeah, they uh, they showed up at our door and said, uh, hey, we'd like to give you 10 barrels for free, um, and we'd like to have a two-year agreement where you're one of our drinking buddies as our representative in New Jersey. And we artfully and very skillfully told them um, that... Uh, that the owner and the head brewer weren't available to discuss it uh, because we screen, you know, all the solicitors and sent them on their way, which was uh, <laughs> crazy. <Yeah. laughs> so I wasn't actually here, but Chris was here, and I think he jumped on the roof and jumped. Uh, yeah. you know, I got a parking lot. Yeah, I got a message, and I was like, yeah, I pretty much did. Yeah, okay. snagged them. So yeah, so it's a two-year deal. They they sent us ten barrels, asked us to you know put a beer in it, age it, um, and distribute it you know we were able to put their name on the label and it's mm -hmm. a true partnership and did an event in new york with all the 17 breweries that they picked this year um and we're you know on tap to have other barrels come in soon and do another beer with them they've got the uh the cask mates um version the stout version mm -hmm. they're putting out an ipa one it was it's their whiskey aged in ipa barrels that were used to age ipa so, so they're doing it the other way. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so they're great people and they're a ton of fun and their um, their events are very interesting. I mean, we're used to we're used to drinking beer at our events and sort of pacing yourself, but you know, it's a little harder to do that a with that. Whiskey we, everywhere. Yeah, where you start off with your choice between Jameson Neat, uh, on the rocks, on the rocks, <laughs> or Jamo and Ginger. Right, that was the other. It was the three yeah, choices. Much, and then yeah. we got a flight of uh, you know four different whiskeys. Okay. Yeah. That was before dinner. So it's a different game. But we remember dinner. Yeah, we've we've, we've, we've recalculated our consumption. Okay. Um, but yeah, in terms of branding, you know, we're partners, so it's been nice. it's been great. Okay. So we got some stuff here to try right now. So mm -hmm. uh, what are we? Uh, what are, what will we be drinking? First, start with the uh, Hibos Hand. It's um, seasonal IPA. We do um, seasonality is based on uh, the fruit we get. It's a uh, Buddhist hand fruit. Um, it's pretty gnarly looking um, citron fruit, and uh, it's it's gonna taste like lemon on steroids more or less. But mm -hmm. it doesn't have um, the bitterness from the the pure or the pith. It doesn't have the sourness either. It's almost tastes like a really intense candied um, lemon, yeah. almost kind of. Right. Cool. So that's, put that in that's there. That's the brewer's one. To me, it, it doesn't taste like pledge. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> that's it's the other way. Of it's saying not the Tide Pod challenge. Yeah. But so we're okay. Um, and then yeah, just kept the the malt bill pretty pretty basic. So we wanted to shine the let the fruit shine. Um, heavy doses of lemon drop and citra hops in there, um, and then we we dry hopped it over two pounds per barrel. So um, a little bit of mosaic in there too, just to get some of the tropical fruit um, notes from there. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's a great beer. Sells out really quickly and wish we could get the fruit year round. But. Yeah, it's the whole, the production's based off of the harvest. So right. the rains in California dictate when it's ripe and they ship it to us when it's ripe. It's ready to go, yeah. Gotta be ready to go when they're ready to go. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Within like two weeks, we're cutting up all the fruit and throwing it in the kettle. And, Going. Yeah, yeah, cool. And I think the uh, I think Chris was saying that the uh, the farm, no matter how many times they tell us they'll call us back, they've never actually called us. So yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> we we have to stalk them to get the fruit. <laughs> Just the opposite of Jameson. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. yeah. So, All right, yeah, let's give it a try. So you get like a you know the the citra mm -hmm. and a lemon drop, and then yep. also just that the Buddhist hand fruit is just it's sweet and lemony. It's yeah, nice. that's. That cuts that. It cuts the IPA nicely. Like it, mm -hmm. the Citra 
Citra's, you know, so well known now. Yeah, yeah. It's the hop of the, you know, yeah, the yeah, hop yeah. of the new generation. But it 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 brings it around nice with the fruit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't really go, you know, heavy on the um, IBUs. You know, we're right. very heavy on the hopping. So the the hops in there. Are, yeah pretty crazy but you know just more on the flavor side rather mm-hmm. than just this big you know bitter bomb you know yeah. and I could I think that would take away from the the fruit yeah you know if your tongue's just you dried out from the IBUs you, you know wouldn't you mean? wouldn't have anywhere to go it wouldn't well, I think also that, taste it. that pithiness that gives you that feeling in the back of your throat like you want to clear your throat mm-hmm. that's not there it's yeah. you know that like kind of yeah. feeling I don't, I don't, <laughs> you yeah. said Sorry. you're not an IPA guy but yeah, yeah no it's it's very it's very smooth and drinkable mm-hmm yeah, and the fruit's great. You can just and it's nine percent. Yeah, and it's nine percent, which hides it very well. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> it does not feel like a nine percent. No. Yeah. Because even that, like even that after burn, if you mm-hmm. will, is not. It's not like yeah, back it's not of my there, throat's yeah. not on fire right now. Exactly. So a lot of our beers are just like touching on that. You know, the balance issue. Like, you know, our, our Belgian triples ten percent. Like you would not know ten percent, mm-hmm. and it's gotten a lot of people into a lot of trouble. <laughs> Where it has a nick- yeah. yeah has some nicknames to it too, and it's just like, yeah. but that's part of you know having this this balance to it, you know. Yeah. No, this is very nice. Yeah, it's got a street name of Cripple Horse. So it's a Cripple Horse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's its street name. Yeah. Well, what was the inspiration? Like, what 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 made it click that that was the way to go for you? Um, I forget how I ran into the fruit, but um, I just when I saw it, not, and smelled it. It's and not a it's not common, yeah. Yeah, it's not like, oh, there's an orange in the, in the it's grocery. It's a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The reason it's yeah. not, you know. Yeah. You see it once, or, I mean, grocery stores around here, like, you might see it once. In yeah. an Asian market or Wegmans yeah. or something like that. Yeah, I had it, like, just having the smell, it's, it's such a such a, um, intense citrus, you know, mm-hmm. smell. And then, you know, a lot of IPAs and then hops, you know, or citrus qualities and stuff like that. <laughs> and just thought it would be a good pairing. Now, is that, now, is this something you first... Do you have a pilot system back there? Do you kick it around in, in at home? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're not throwing, you're not throwing, oh, yeah, you know, large scale, yeah, full scale right away. Hundred barrel batches, yeah. Um, we do have a, a small um, pilot system that we use. Uh, it's almost kind of like a, a homebrew system, more or less, mm-hmm. you know, like ten gallon system. If there's any like really weird fruit that we just have no idea about, we'll use that. Um, I think we probably did one or two batches just to find certain quantities. Okay. Um, yeah, just certain greens we're not familiar with, um, and then from there, we'll brew as small as possible on our system. Okay. Because then from there, you, that's kind of more of a linear scale up. You can scale up. Where right. like okay. you know do burner underneath a cut off keg, you know. If it's good on there, you can't just times so, by times yeah. by a hundred and you know three. I think the factor is, and voila, you know. Right. So um, also any uh, new beers, we'll always plan to do at least two tanks of them that way, and, and have enough time in between where we can taste it. And if we have to do any tweaks to it, we do that in the second one. We blend the two, and then that combined um, is okay. that's the recipe going. That's forward. the art part. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yep. That's the nerve wracking part because <laughs> after that, there's no. <laughs> Because I mean, yeah. you can tweak it slowly, but I mean, I mean, consistency is a huge thing too. Um, right. I was just going to ask. This, I mean, you you lock your 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 beers, your regulars are locked down, and yeah, I mean, I think you have to do that. I mean, because someone likes it one time, someone right. else doesn't like it, you know, and then right. you just come down to no matter who likes it or doesn't, they never know what they're going to get. Right. They're not going to order it. Right. And with that, you know, being so saturated in the market right now, you just, I mean, it's just even responsibility to be consistent you know yeah yeah exactly. and that's the number one thing it's like mm-hmm. i've always said you can make it taste like a foot as long as it tastes like the same foot people will buy <laughs> people it. will buy it yeah, yeah. they just get used <laughs> right. to it and they get to expect and i think 
seeing a lot of that. Foot. Yeah, <laughs> you're seeing that a lot in the market. I think with uh, you know inconsistencies mm-hmm. across beers and yeah, you know it's it makes well, people nervous. And it, but with the hyper local, hyper small, I also wonder if there's a certain element of people who are seeking that out. Like, you yeah, know, I want the 2018 version because I know it's going to be different. Yeah, you know, and and I mean it doesn't scale to the size that you guys are. But I wonder if that's such a thing still that, you know, the, the I, want, I, think, I, I want to be able to notch another beer on Untapped. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know we see it. We see it on Untapped where they date they our, do you know, ours. Yeah. Yeah. They date ours, our hip, you know, IPA, which is, it's the same thing, you know, every time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, when you go through the tiers, you look at it from a consumer point of view. That's one thing, but it's skewmageddon out there anyway, right? right. It's there's, you, you you can't come with thirty skews that may be the same thirty skews you had last year, you know. It's too much. It's already too much for you know to go through the chain like passing mm-hmm. that knowledge on. That you know, frankly, I mean, talking to a lot of accounts, they're they're exhausted by innovation. They yeah. just you know, and you don't need variations on innovation, right? So, right. You know. So you guys are your yearlies are what four five. Yeah. Five, yeah. right? Five, five. five. Yeah. yeah. So, um, IPA, um, our special ale, which is an amber ale. Pilsner, um, hypnotizing, which is kind of a more aggressive IPA. Okay. And then um, our Belgian triple, triple horse. So yeah. five. And then you got one more here. The yeah, stout, yeah, one more. Which is, uh, stout. Every year we'll do a big burly uh, imperial stout. Comes in about twelve percent, and we'll age it for almost a year in um, bourbon barrels. Okay. Just be ever packaging it, package it on Monday, and it's available in the tasting room this this weekend. So this to your this to your point is intentionally a variation on the same name, right? Just because it's you know comes out every January. I mean, it's only our second year, but the plan is to have something you know for January that's been around, um, aging for a long time. High ABV aging for a long time is sort of the the slot we're trying to fill with that. How long has it been aging? Close to a year. Close to a year? Yeah. Yeah. So you're already working on 3.0. It's and probably going to go in the barrels, uh, you know, next month. Next month? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you just pick up the, the bourbon. It's, it's been in yeah. there. Those are, f- for us, first-use barrels. Um, I think they're just about 10, 11 months, so it's yeah. almost a year. Yeah. It's there, definitely. There in the smell. It's there in the, in the, in the first taste. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of dark roasted malts, um, some oats in there, and some lactose too to kind of bump up the body and mm-hmm. creaminess. Yeah, and also to work with the vanilla notes you get from um, oak and bourbon to begin okay. with. It's a monster. It's funny because I was never, I was never a whiskey spirits right. bourbon person, mm-hmm. but the more I've gotten into beer, because of stuff like this, it's brought me into that world as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, it's given me the taste to go out and drink some Jamesons and... Yeah, yeah it's crazy. I um, I drank a lot of bourbon was sort of my go-to. Um, right. You know, I, d- I always drank Jameson, actually. I'm not just saying it, but, you know, I actually lived a year in Ireland, but they were sort of describing who they were going after as somebody partnering with us is sort of getting people that have a few beers and at the end of the night will finish off with, you know, a whiskey neat. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's everybody I know. It's everybody here. <laughs> right. you know? So, I, you know, I always like bourbon and, you know, an Irish whiskey, uh, but 
going through the you know spending as much time in beer i sort of steered away from bourbon it's 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 way too sweet for me now it's way okay. you know it's yeah. crazy how you change over time yeah well as you as we as we grow in age the taste buds yeah definitely do change like yeah. i like beer asian bourbon but to have like a like a bourbon need or bourbon rocks i, I can't do it anymore it's, it's too just, much it's too much yeah I'm like, can we cut this with a staff? <laughs> what has happened, you know? It's gone the other way. Where would you like to see River Horse going? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we're constantly reevaluating all of our beers all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're looking at, you know, we're going to release some new stuff this year. We're going to bring stuff that we did last year back on a bigger scale. Uh, we did uh, an IPA, My Name is Citrus Maximus, mm-hmm. in cans. Yep. Yep. We did juiced IPA in cans. Um, we're bringing those back, but on a much bigger scale. Um, Juiced was done specifically for Whole Foods okay. so in New York and Connecticut. Okay. So we didn't have it in Jersey and PA, which is kind of weird because we're a Jersey brewery. <laughs> but um, yeah, we couldn't do it at such a volume to have it throughout the whole network. And it was just a you know, a special thing. So mm-hmm. we just sort of left it up there. But So we're going to do those on a bigger scale. Um, you know, we're going to get deeper into cans. Um, you know, we're really going to push... Um, Eat beers out of here, you know, mm-hmm. specific stuff. We do have every Friday we do a beer. It's our final Friday series. So every last Friday of every month is a different beer that you can only get here and sort of, you know, experimental. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll send a few of those six tools out for events. Okay. So no one wants to do an event with our five year round beers. It's just, you got to do something special. special so, right. You know, it's okay. innovation, but I, I, I think it's not over innovation where mm-hmm. we're just, you know, just trying everything it's, right you know sort of calculated but it's very interesting how you guys are a bigger player but then you ha- are still innovating you're still playing around you've still got something where every friday you can get something just here yeah so it's it's a nice mix it's a it's a good mix yeah and we're you know we're working on um you know we're working on actually improving the tasting room hopefully expanding it a little bit mm-hmm. it's a whole other you know nightmare project but um, I think it's something that's just the, the way the market is now yeah. you know it's you gotta you gotta bring people in the door and you gotta have unique stuff thank you Chris and Chris you can find out more about Riverhorse at riverhorse.com check out the brewery at 2 Graphics Drive in Ewing, New Jersey the website has the info on tours and virtual tours on March 23rd and 24th Overbeers is going to be at all three sessions of the Atlantic City Beer and Music Festival at the AC Convention Center We're going to be interviewing folks from the breweries, have some stuff to give away to you for swinging by and saying hello, and maybe even talking to some of you so you can talk about the events and your thoughts on craft beer. We're also going to have tickets to give away to one of the sessions. More on that to come. You can find out more about the podcast at the blog at overbeers.beer. Please leave a rating for the podcast on iTunes or where you get your podcasts. It helps. You can also leave a comment at the blog or send me an email. I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas about the show. Email address is cheers at santephoto.com. You can also follow along on Instagram, santephoto, S-A-N-T-E-P-H-O-T-O. I'm Freddie Clark, and I'm going to go have a beer, but I'll be back next week with another conversation over beers.